Well, we're taking another step forward in our series on the Holy Spirit uh, phaseology. This morning, we'll be talking about the Holy Spirit's Holy Spirit and His work as the generator and regenerator of life. So, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, uh, you'll see all of those passages in Scripture that we'll be referring to over the course of our sermon this morning in your bulletin. You'll see Genesis chapter one and chapter two. Ezekiel 37 with a minor pit stop in Ezekiel chapter 36 and John chapter 3 listed for you. We begin this morning in John chapter 3. One night a Pharisee came to see Jesus. This man named Nicodemus had recognized something about Jesus and so he came looking for answers. He came looking for understanding. And as many conversations involving Jesus in Scripture go, Jesus sets the agenda. Nicodemus doesn't seem to ever really get to his question or his point. Jesus sets the agenda, and he proclaims in chapter 3, verse 3 of John's Gospel, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And when Jesus says that new birth or rebirth is the only way to enter the kingdom of God, he is pointing to the work of the Holy Spirit, the creator who recreates. This is what the Holy Spirit does. As Bishop John Rogers has once said, the Holy Spirit creates and he regenerates. He creates and he recreates. He gives life. He gives new life life. And that's our big idea for today, very simply put. The big idea for today is that the Holy Spirit is the generator, the giver, and the regenerator, the giver of new life. This Nicene Creed, which we know and we, we, we use on a regular basis as a part of the life of our church, the Nicene Creed is a document of the Christian tradition debated and developed in a gathering of church leaders in the fourth century. The creed summarizes biblical revelation about the nature and being of God. It lays out fundamental Christian doctrine about the Father and about the Son. And the final stanza begins, We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. And we see this, we, we heard about the Lord, the giver of life, this very morning as Doug read for us aspects, parts of God's story of creation. It begins this way, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The account of God's creation recorded in Genesis chapter 1, starting at verse 1, and then going through to chapter 2, verse 4, that account of God's creation is a hymn. It is the lens through which the rest of the story should be read and understood is declared. In this hymn covering all of Genesis chapter 1, this is declared, God created. And all that is exists because God created. The very first words used in these first two verses of the Bible point us toward the understanding that God is the reason why something instead of nothing exists. The word created 
in the original Hebrew refers to a special activity accomplished only by the divine. A different word altogether is used in reference to a person creating a work of art. This word is only about the divine doing the work of creation, the God that exists doing this work. And the hymn of Genesis chapter 1 explains, in explaining why there is something, it builds us toward the purpose of creation. It builds us toward the Sabbath, that seventh day, that day set apart, set apart as holy, the day of fellowship, that day of worship. And so what we see in Genesis chapter 1 is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the triune God creating, and this hymn declares that God created all that is of his own initiative for his own purposes. But the story of creation continues after this opening hymn. The story of creation is, in fact, retold in Genesis chapter 2. There, in Genesis chapter 2, the story of creation, the focus is narrowed specifically upon the creation of humanity. Human beings, male and female, that aspect of God's creation that is made in His own image, made to know and be known by God, made for fellowship and worship of God, made to reflect and image God in the world. Here, in Genesis chapter 2, the life-giving work the generative work, the making work of the Holy Spirit becomes explicit. Doug read for us this morning in chapter 2, verse 7 of Genesis, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. In all of God's creation, only man, male and female, was made in the image of God. And in all of God's creation, only man, male and female, are breathed upon by God. Let's notice something here about this phrase, breathed, the breath of life, breathing into his nostrils. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, we read that the Spirit of God was hovering over the deep. And in this verse, the word that is translated as spirit is literally wind, or equally breath. And so when we see in Genesis chapter 2 that the Lord God was hovering and breathed upon the man, the spirit that was hovering over the deep is coming into. The breath that was hanging has now entered in. In both Testaments, Old and New, the words that are translated into English as spirit mean very much the same thing. Wind or breath, these words carry with them the idea of movement, of force, of action. And so the Spirit of God, the, the breath of God that was hovering over the face of the waters, then came and hovered over the dust that God had formed into man. Hovering there over the face of newly formed man, the Spirit generated, made life. What we see in the hymn of creation of Genesis chapter 1 and the, the specific narrowed focus of Genesis chapter 2 is this simple idea that God is the creator of all that exists, that all that exists. He is the giver of life, and very specifically the point is made, the Spirit of God is the giver of humanity's life. He breathes into male and female, gives life to humanity. And this is true of all humanity that has ever lived and ever will live. 
The Spirit of God is the giver of life. And whether we have been formed out of the dust as the first man and first woman, or whether we've developed in the womb, we are breathed into by God. We are generated by God. We are given life by the Spirit. The early church father, Tertullian, says this, If God forms us in the womb, he also breathes on us as he did in the beginning. And so as C.S. Lewis says, we, there's none of us, we never interact with a mere mortal because God is the giver of life and has breathed upon us and given us life. There is something in this world because God created it. There is human life because the Spirit generated it because He is the giver of life. But there's a problem. There's a really big problem. God created the first man and the first woman. He blessed them. God, in the accounts of Genesis, he abundantly provided all that male and female, Adam and Eve, all that they would need. He gave them to eat of any of the trees, of all of the plants, but he gave them a warning. God said to them, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. But eat they did. And die they did. In their attempt to assert independence from God, in their attempt to, to rule over themselves, they found the opposite of what they had in God. And after this fall of man, as we often refer to the events of Genesis chapter 3, brokenness and disharmony came to define humanity. What was once a harmonious relationship between male and female and God was now disharmonious. It was broken. What was once whole was now in pieces. This is man's helpless estate, scattered out of the garden in broken relationship in death. Another way to think of this brokenness and disharmony is death. Broken relationship with the Creator is dying. Broken relationship with fellow humans is dying. Due to sin, humanity is not truly human and now experiences death. Death being the inevitable consequence of their actions, of their sin. Death being the consequence of our sin. And so there, Adam and Eve and all of humanity since scattered out of fellowship to die. Like so many leaves of autumn, dead and scattered. What a rosy picture I'm painting this morning, huh? Fantastic. This is a bleak picture. It should be. But with the words and actions of God's judgment in Genesis chapter 3, God brings words and actions of hope. You see, even as God pronounced his judgment, even as he sent east of Eden and scattered, he promised reconciliation and gathering. As God banished Adam and Eve out of the garden, what did he also do? He sacrificed animals and he covered their nakedness. In an act of his grace, he established an angel with a flaming sword protecting the tree of life so that male and female, Adam and Eve, wouldn't enter in and eat the tree of life and then live forever in their death estate. Those are acts of grace. Those are acts of hope. And the rest of the biblical story from Genesis chapter 3 to Revelation chapter 22 can be summarized as God's working out his plan and his purpose to regenerate and to regather. 
the story of God and his people Israel show his work as he works in a people to form them into his people. And through them, he works to recreate the world. Israel, however, was unable to keep the law, unable to be God's people. And so God exercised his judgment upon them for their idolatrous sins, and he sent them into exile. This is the story of the Old Testament. But in this act of judgment, in this sending into exile, just as in the garden, God also pronounced hope. We read words of judgment in the book of Ezekiel. In Ezekiel chapter 36, the time of this particular prophecy, the people of Israel had been conquered twice, once by Assyria and once by Babylon. And by the time Ezekiel is called into the ministry, the, uh, the prophetic ministry, the people of Israel are huddled in Babylon. Yes, there are some people remaining in their homeland, some people scattered abroad, but the people of Israel themselves in exile conquered defeat. God says this in Ezekiel 36, Son of man, when the house of Israel lived in their own land, they defiled it by their ways and their deeds. So I poured out my wrath upon them. I scattered them among the nations. That's judgment. But in the same chapter, in the same prophecy, we read words of hope. We hear words of regeneration. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the nations and gather you from the countries and bring you to your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And God says, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. God pronounces judgment. God also pronounces hope. He will, by the power of his Holy Spirit, regenerate and gather that which has been scattered. The very next chapter in Ezekiel, chapter 37, is the vision of the valley of dry bones, where God shows Ezekiel that work of regeneration and gathering. Ezekiel was in the spirit of the Lord, we're told, and there in the spirit of the Lord, he was shown a valley littered with corpses, and not freshly dead, these were skeletons that were very dry. And by any rational expectation, there would be no hope for these bones, no hope for these bones to live. They do not have life, and that which is dead cannot of itself regain life. And folks, that's precisely the point. Only God knows if these bones can live. Only God can give life to them. Only God can regenerate. Notice what God says to Ezekiel in chapter 37, verse 4. Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you. 
and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. And in verse 10 of Ezekiel 37, we see the conclusion. Ezekiel says, So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Folks, we should be hearing here echoes of Genesis chapter 27 in this passage. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, breath entered into the dust and generated. And here in Ezekiel 37, breath entered into dusty bones and regenerated. It is clearly God's Spirit at work in both cases. He is the Lord, the giver of life. He is the generator. He is the regenerator. And in the context of Ezekiel, in the context of the story of Israel and the whole Bible, this prophecy, this envisioned prophecy, is about the deliverance of Israel out of exile and the regathering of it as a nation. That's how God himself explains it. But there is a wider principle at work here. As one commentator notes, only God can produce life for those who are physically and or spiritually dead. Nothing but a miracle will resurrect the dead. And this wider principle that God is at work to regenerate life, this wider principle isn't just a promise for Israel. It is for all who are dead in sin. That's good news for us because we're all dead in our sin. What is dead can only be made alive by the work of God. Only the generator is the regenerator. Only the giver of life can give new life. And this is the biblical promise, the biblical promise for all that is brought to bear upon all of humanity through Jesus Christ the Lord, the Son of the living God, the crucified, risen, and ascended Savior. The Spirit is the generator and the regenerator. His work of regeneration is through Jesus. And that brings us back to John chapter 3 this morning. Back to that nighttime conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus, where Jesus rocks the boat. He shatters the paradigm. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the, the rule of God in the life of an individual and in the lives of God's gathered people. To be in the kingdom is to be under the king, gathered out of the scattered to be in the kingdom is to have life, to be truly human in fellowship with the Creator, offering Him worship and praise. And Jesus says, there's only one way to see the kingdom, to be truly human, as God intended. New birth, rebirth, birth that comes from above. And as Jesus goes on to explain to this very puzzled Nicodemus, this new birth is made up of being born of water and the Spirit. A reference directly back to the prophecy of Ezekiel chapter 36. We see new birth is from God and is the work of God as He cleanses from impurity, as He transforms the heart, doing both through the Holy Spirit that comes to dwell as the regenerator in the life of a believer. We see a couple of aspects from Genesis chapter 3 that really need to be brought out this morning. First, the new birth, the rebirth, regeneration is necessary. There's no exception clause in Jesus' statement. There's no exception clause to the infection of sin 
All who are born of a human, all who have born of man, are born of flesh. Flesh is in sin. We have an inherited capacity to sin. We are sinners because we sin. And so we are all dead in our sin. Therefore, we must all be made alive with a new birth in order to see the kingdom of God. There's no exception clause in Jesus' statement. The unless is all-encompassing. It is all-inclusive. No one is left out, and no one gets a free pass. If there was a man who could have gotten the free pass on his own merit and behavior, it probably would have been a guy like Nicodemus, a Pharisee of the law, a scribe knowing the law, strict in his obedience to the law, and yet Jesus says to him, you must be born again. I don't know about any of you all, but I ain't no Nicodemus. This new birth that is so absolutely necessary, it is absolutely necessary because it is a radical transformation. It will not do to say, I'm a pretty good person, I just need to do this better and think that I'm going to get into the kingdom of heaven. It will not do to look at myself in the mirror and say, eh, I'm not so bad. I can do okay. I can get a little bit better here and there. I'll shore up my weaknesses. No, that is renovation. And what Jesus is talking about is regeneration. 19th century preacher Charles Spurgeon explained it this way. Regeneration is a great deal more than reformation of life. It is not enough that the present life as already possessed should be renovated. A new life must be received, and no improving the present life will suffice in its stead. Because the present life without regeneration is a life of death. Without the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit to give us new life in Jesus Christ, we are zombies. But the Spirit is the regenerator. He brings the dead to life as the breath blows. This new birth that is so necessary is received, not achieved. Jesus, again, is is quite clear. It is the Spirit who does the work of regeneration because it is the Spirit who is the regenerator. And here we have, again, that word wind as Jesus declares the sovereign sufficiency of the Spirit's work. The wind blows where it will. The Spirit is the wind that blows as He wills. The Spirit is the giver of life and the giver of new life who brings about the new birth that is necessary to see the kingdom of God. This new birth, Jesus is quite explicit. This new birth is received only through faith, active trust in Jesus. Jesus uses an example from Israel's history found in Numbers, but it points to himself. He says this, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Eternal life is the same thing as being in the kingdom of God, is the same thing as being born of the Spirit, being born of water and the Spirit, being born of Again, how does this eternal life, how does this new birth come about? Jesus says, whoever believes in him, the one who is lifted up, whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And so we see then that the work of the regenerator begins in the life of a person through active trust in Jesus, the one who is lifted up on the cross. 
The kingdom of God is entered into. A people are gathered. Eternal life begins. A new birth is received. Not through our human effort, our human merit, our ability to believe and achieve, but only through the accomplished and finished work of Jesus Christ upon the cross. This work received by grace through faith and applied to the life of a believer through the work of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit works to regenerate individuals. The Spirit works to apply Christ's accomplishments to us to make us new. But He also works to gather God's people as the church. God's intention and purpose has always been the regathering of a people from the scattered dead. And so just as the Spirit recreates and regenerates the life of a believer, it is a part of the Spirit generating life to bring together the church. The wind blows upon individuals to give new birth. The wind blows upon a people to give birth to a body. After his resurrection, Jesus met with his disciples. And there in an event recorded in John chapter 20, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. And then just a few weeks after this, we read in Acts chapter 2 that suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Breath and wind, taking us back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, the book of Ezekiel chapter 36, Ezekiel chapter 37, 1 through 15, John chapter 3, 1 through 15. Breath and wind, the generator, the regenerator, the Holy Spirit coming to gather God's people to form the church, that which is dead made alive, that which is scattered being gathered by the work of the Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. As author Christopher Ash puts it, gathering cannot happen without the Spirit. Now, I think it's perfectly sufficient, it's wonderful for us to ask, appropriate to ask the question, what difference does it make? Jesus, or the Holy Spirit is the generator, he's the regenerator, but so what? It's a great question, right? Is anyone awake this morning? <laughs> Thank you, Doug. Thanks for waving your hand at me. Karen's nodding. Thank you, Karen. First, let's echo. What difference does it make? Well, let's echo Jesus' words. If you take offense at this, it's okay to be offended by me, but really, you're being offended by Jesus. When Jesus says, in order to see the kingdom of God, to be truly human as God intended, we must be born again. We must echo the words of Jesus. The, the scattered must be gathered. The dead must receive life from the regenerator, the Holy Spirit. We need the work of the Spirit to make us new. We receive regeneration at the sovereign will of God through faith in Jesus, the crucified and risen one, by the work of the Spirit. And perhaps it is today that you've come with us to worship the Lord, but you've not trusted in Jesus. Perhaps it is today that you've not received the newness of life through the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. And I ask you today, is today the day of salvation? Is today the day that you, who are dead in sin, undergo a transformation that is beyond your ability, the transformation that is through the work of the Spirit, received by grace through faith, in trusting in the crucified and risen Christ? I ask you today, if you have not received this work of the Spirit, is God working in you now and here through the proclamation of His Word to respond to Him in faith? 
If the answer to that question in your heart is yes, there will be opportunity to respond in a few moments. Second, perhaps you've uh, been knowing Jesus for some time, and perhaps you're asking yourself, well, how can I know I've received this new birth? How can I be certain or sure? Let me give you encouragement. Jesus told Nicodemus that one can see the effects of the wind. And so we can say then that we can see the effects of the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. Here are some characteristics perhaps to look for in yourself as you do heart work, repentance, prayer, commitment to gathering. Do you recognize your sin and repent of it, continually turning to Jesus for forgiveness, for cleansing, for transformation? Is your character more and more being transformed? Do you find yourself led into times of prayer and spiritual disciplines? And are you committed to the gathering of God's people, the local church? This is evidence of the regenerating work because these are characteristics that, quite frankly, won't be exhibited as a consistent, on a consistent basis unless the work of God has been brought to bear upon us. So be encouraged. You can know, seeing the evidence of the Spirit, repentance, transformation, prayer, commitment to gathering. Finally, this morning, maybe you're thinking, well, I got number one, I'm good on number one, I'm okay on number two, but finally this morning, we need to be exhorted to live in the power of the Regenerator. Having received life through the work of the Regenerator, we must understand this must work into our minds and the hearts of our being that we remain in dependence upon Him as we live and move and we have our being. Having been born again, it is not right for us to say to the Lord, the giver of life, I got this now. Because quite frankly, we don't. Having been born again, we are brought into a new life in which we live in dependence of the Holy Spirit, in fellowship with Christ, the Father over us. Having been born again, we are being trained and transformed to be truly human. And just as we cannot be born again of our own working, so it is that we cannot live in the new life in our own power and our strength. Live in Christ. Walk in the Spirit. Does the Regenerator guide your steps and work through you for your good, for God's greater glory? The Holy Spirit is the generator. He is the regenerator. He gives us life. He gives us new life in Jesus Christ. Dead in our sins, he makes us alive. Scattered abroad, he gathers us into the body of Jesus. Only by his work may we who are dead and scattered be made alive and gathered. And maybe it is this morning that you're being pressed internally to respond to the preaching of the word. Maybe you need to acknowledge Christ as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you need to come and seek refreshment in saying, show me evidence of my regeneration. Maybe you just simply need to come and say, Holy Spirit, fill me up. Now is an opportunity for that. The band is going to come and we're going to sing praises to the Lord Ethan, Father Ethan, and myself, Jeff Cressy, will be back at the back of the sanctuary. We will be ready, willing, and able to pray with anyone over any of these three options as we sing praises to our Lord. Come and respond. 
How is the Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, working in you today? I've said this to you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Holy and gracious God, come and move amongst us by the power of your Spirit. Come and give life and new life. Come and have your way. We are ready now. Move amongst us. Holy Spirit, come. You are welcome here. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and sing.